I've just made a decision in my life. I need an entourage wherever I go. That was cool, you know? A couple of almost like armed guards there and stuff. Of course, nobody ever wants to hurt Sarah, so I don't know what you're worried about. Man, I, I have my own entourage a little bit. I've got some guys that I, I've always, ever since I was young, I've always hung out with the bigger dudes so that they could take care of me. So big friends were my best friends. Um, so I've got a few bigger dudes in my life, and one of them actually is going to spend some time helping us set our minds towards Veterans Day coming up this week. And uh, so I, I have, I would say, Tim Corbett is a tough guy. He doesn't really act it, but I'd say he's a tough guy. But I do want to go back to Sarah for just a second, because when we're talking tough, um, who get, Gus is carrying out right now in that car seat just came out of Sarah, like, what, two days ago now? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'll be there to do the announcement. Like, what? Who are you? But uh, anyway, we're tough in all different forms. But anyway, I'm going to ask uh, Tim Corbett to make his way up. This is retired Brig- Brigadier General uh, Tim Corbett, who is also joining us on our leadership team this year. And I don't know if the people are sick of you already because we got to hear from you last week. But I asked you, we didn't plan this that well, but I asked him to give us a start to our time thinking about Veterans Day. And so he's got some things prepared for us that we'll hear from. Thank you, Tim. At ease, Pastor. Thank That means you can, yeah, there you go. I, Hugh T. Corbett, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I'm about to enter. So help me, God. Um, our other members who are enlisted take a similar oath, and that goes as follows. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. So this oath uh, has always been a a huge uh, thing for me personally. And I know for many veterans, every veteran that's out there has said one of those two oaths. And typically you say it when you enlist or when you first accede in, assess in, um, and you take it every time you get promoted to the next office to renew that vow. And you can't help um, if you're uh, sincere in your uh, obligation that you're taking. This oath changes you. It changes the way you think. Um, and again, every veteran has taken it. So today or this week is not Memorial Day. So Memorial Day for me is a very somber day. Uh, I'd like to, uh, spend it by myself. Um, I, I used to get asked quite a bit to give speeches on the, those days, but it was always a very heavy day for me because Memorial Day is when uh, we honor those who have died in military service. 
uh, serving the country and made that ultimate sacrifice. Uh, Veterans Day, though, is different. And today is a, a more of a joyful day. And what we're really doing is we're celebrating the peace that veterans have brought to the country. Because make no mistake, uh, that's the goal of everything that a veteran does. Um, as many of you know, Veterans Day ha- uh, has its uh, origins in Armistice Day following World War II. Uh, it ended, uh, Armistice Day was November 11th at the 11th hour uh, in 1918. And they made it a, a, a big deal. Uh, and it was commemorated because it recognized the end of the war that ends all wars. Unfortunately, we had World War II and we had Korea. Uh, and at that point in time, uh, in 1954, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower proclaimed that they were changing the name of Armistice Day to Veterans Day. And again, uh, the whole purpose there was to honor those who took that oath one of those two oaths that I just gave you. Um, And that service brings peace. Um, So what's the big deal? Uh, You can see me getting a a little choked up, uh, just taking the oath. Um, But the big deal is veterans are different. They they really are, the the vast majority. you can tell many of our uh, members here, even though they haven't served for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you can still tell they're veterans without asking them. It's the way they talk. It's the way they stand. It's the way they uh, dress sometimes. Sometimes it's just the way they move and their, their personal skill set in explaining something. But we are kind of freaks in a sense. <laughs> I mean, the service changes you, and it, and it should. Um, again, every single one of them raised their hand and gave that oath. And the key is that there was a voluntary submission of control of their lives to Uncle Sam some of them for a period of time and some of them for a lifetime. But it was voluntary submission to do what Uncle Sam needed to be done. And for that, Uncle Sam said, thank you, and then sent them off to decivilianization school where we went away to boot camp or we went to OCS or we went through the rigors of training um, and we learned about a different way of life. We actually, at the end of that initial training, you get a new identity. You are now a soldier. You are now an airman. You are now a sailor. You are now a Marine. This is your identity, and you have goals set out for you that you wish to achieve. Uncle Sam feeds you, clothes you, gives you your housing, tells you when to eat when you're in training, gives you the food, gives you limited periods of time to eat. He even teaches you how hygiene, how to brush your teeth 
and how to sneeze. If you ever see anybody sneeze like this with their elbow up to their mouth, it's probably because they got had a training session, but that's the proper way to sneeze. Um, and then Uncle Sam also gives you new friends. And so your new friends are your fellow uh, soldiers. And um, you also get a special friend, uh, also known as uh, your drill instructor or your platoon sergeant or your commander. Uh, and that person becomes your special mentor. And I mean special in a, in a positive way and sometimes in a really tough way. Um, but they then give you a job and you get trained to you, do your job and then you get trained to do your job and then you get a little bit more training and a little bit more training and then you get evaluated and then you get some more knowledge and you get some more training. But it's all about training so that you can do your job at the right time, at the right place, regardless of the circumstances. Um, it, oftentimes you'll hear this muscle memory, uh, but that's the effect that goes into the training is it's constant and it's continuous. And then just when you think that you're getting everything under control, you know where you're living, you, you have your friends, you have this Uncle Sam decides to send you someplace else because that's just the way it is. So there's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of submission. And you just do and you say what Uncle Sam tells you to do. And I'll just say this parenthetically. Um, every order I ever received was subject to two requirements. It had to be lawful under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And it had to be morally and legally ethical. Um, I could refuse any order I received at my own peril. I better be right. Uh, but other than that, it was snap, yes, sir, yes, sir, uh, three bags full, and I'm going to go carry that out. Um, so in exchange for Uncle Sam, me submitting to Uncle Sam, he did give me some other stuff. Um, he gave me professionalism. He gives all veterans a level of professionalism. Um, veterans also understand very quickly how poor leadership can crush the soul and the spirit while good leadership can change the morale of a unit of individuals and it produces praise and inspiration and most importantly good solid leadership creates unity and unity of effort there's another concept in the military that we've learned that we learned that veterans get and that's the concept of deference. And I spoke about that just a moment ago. I don't have to agree that the order I'm receiving is the best way to do something. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And now my boss's, my commander's order is my will. I'm going to make that happen. So I don't have to agree to do it. Again, I gave you that it was subject to some, some limits. Um, but you do it even though you don't agree with it. And that's a dying commodity in, in today's world. And then there's the personal growth and pro professional growth that came with understanding that continuous individual effort and collective active produces results. That bond that you form with others, 
that knowing that you can trust the person on your left and trust the person on your right motivates you, inspires you to push forward and to accomplish things you never thought possible. And then there are the last three, uh, and I'm sorry, seven key values that most veterans have learned for life. Um, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And veterans are drilled with those key values every day of their service. You are evaluated on those critical values. You don't get promoted. You don't get assignments if you fail those values. Those values become our measuring stick in life. So, yeah, uh, veterans are different, and they are different because they raised their hand, they took that oath, um, and they submitted and then served Uncle Sam. Uh, even if it wasn't always pleasant or comfortable. So what I would ask is that you thank a vet for his submission and service or her submission and service, um, but also that you take away a life lesson that veterans learned over their careers. If submitting and serving Uncle Sam for a few years can produce a life-changing new character in an individual, how much greater is the change that Christ will produce in each of us if we submit and serve him? So learn from a vet, apply it from a vet, and I think we'll all be in a better place. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tim. I really uh, appreciate what you had to say. We didn't coordinate on um, how I would follow that up, but I think so much, Tim, of what you had to offer is right in line with where I intend to take us for just a few moments because uh, I thought it would be important for us to pause, especially now. I don't think the timing is by accident that uh, with all that we've gone through, with all that we've seen, with all that we've witnessed in our country, that uh, we would need to be grounded in its foundations, that we would need to think about our heritage. We would need to think about what got us to the place that we are and the freedoms that we have and and to appreciate how threats move in on those freedoms and, and all of those sorts of things. And all our cherished blessings, not just in the nation of America, but all of our cherished blessings are the result of someone's sacrifice particular for us in America, it was a veteran, not a preacher, that gave us the freedom of religion. Or it was a veteran, not a reporter, that gave us the freedom of press. It was a veteran, not a poet, that gave us the freedom of speech. A veteran, not a professor, that gave us the freedom to assemble. A veteran, not a lawyer, gave us the right to a fair trial. It was a veteran, not a politician, that gave us the right to vote. I think we've all witnessed 
the uh, duty of the veterans in our lives and what we've seen and we've been to funerals or other um, uh, honorary formations and things along those lines. We know that a veteran is one who salutes our flag, one who serves our flag and whose coffin will one day be draped by our flag. Sacrifice is the necessary ingredient to accomplishment. We don't get where we are or where we're going without it. And I don't think anyone understands that in our modern context more than a soldier. Our world is in darkness and only the light of Jesus will rescue it from what it's going through. And so we understand this on a fundamental level. Those of us in Christ, we know what the answer is, but when we are battle-worn... When we are, uh, all of our language this week was about battleground states. Our metaphor of, of war and battle bleeds through so many interactions that we have. Everything feels like a battle. Imagine how the world is trudging through this battle without the light of Jesus Christ, without the hope that you and I continually come back to. We, we, I've heard so many times in the last couple of weeks paraphrasing Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Paul writes this. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And we would would lean on that and say, okay, that gives me an understanding of all that I'm seeing. It gives me perspective of all that I'm experiencing. But then sometimes the more uh, intrusive or less attractive language comes, picks up in verse 13, which tells us to take it up again. Can I just take a break? Can I just have a breath? It says, no, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In the short time that we have together this morning, I appreciate everyone's patience. I appreciate your faithfulness to be in the house of God, despite our circumstances. I thought what we would do is draw several parallels. And again, I'm an outside observer when it comes to military service and dedication. I'm a great appreciator of it, but I'm very much an outside observer of never having spent a day in the armed forces in my life. And so there's a profound respect that we gain for those that have gone and made those sacrifices. Even to um, Tim's point about this not being Memorial Day, it doesn't take the ultimate sacrifice to have made great sacrifices. And so what I thought we would do is take a few moments to make some obvious comparisons. Because if we truly believe that we are fighting in a spiritual battle, we better make some anchoring observations in our lives as to what makes a soldier a soldier. And there's plenty. Tim had laid out for us seven things that I think now in hindsight would have made an awesome outline. I wish I had known those. But we're going to take four of them in various forms and focus on them and tie them to what we understand from Scripture. 
A good soldier knows the voice of their commander. A ready soldier knows who is the one in charge, who is giving the orders. They learn to trust that voice. And it sounds to me, and it seems true from the observations we have, is that even those that don't come into the military prepared to follow somebody's orders learn over time how to do that. I like that de-civilization um, training process that you mentioned. Because authority is a key to all success in the military. If authority isn't right, if the uh, ability to follow the chain of command is all out of whack, then there's, there goes the battle as well. Authority is the key to military success. And, and in the spiritual life, as we talk about all things that really matter below the surface, and we see Jesus as our commander, we don't think of him as being the one to really have the, the commanding presence and the, this is the way we're going, men, follow me sort of thing. Jesus is always portrayed as somebody else, is he not? Jesus is always portrayed as, well, I mean, if you want to try this, you can try this. I'm just leading by example. If you want to follow, you can follow. What does Jesus say, actually? He says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I tell you to do? Now, because Jesus is who he is, he doesn't need to go around talking like that all the time. Perhaps that's why we don't portray him as a commander, because he so often is leading by that example. He so often is, is leading by that sacrifice. But when somebody of that uh, nature, of that caliber, of that um, measure of life makes that statement, that simple little sentence, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I tell you? It carries a lot of weight. We see that often purpose is issued by the commanding officers in the military. This isn't a path of self-discovery. We've never seen the great war movies where the general or the commanding officers pull them together and say, what do you guys think we should do? We got a whole battlefield waiting for us. And I just want to get everyone's opinions. Let's figure this out, right? I'm always amazed at how quick the commands come, how sharp the direction is. And I'm like, there's no way they can know exactly what there is to do at all times. But so much of it is there's a, a there's a, a period of time where we're waiting. Does somebody know what we're supposed to do? Does somebody know where we're supposed to go? And the leader needs to be able to speak into that. Purpose is issued by a commander. It isn't a path of self-discovery or up for opinion. My mind goes back to, uh, if you'll forgive me, a scene in um, one of my all-time favorite movies that I am not promoting, although it's been around for a gazillion years, so if you haven't seen it yet, it's your own fault, uh, Forrest Gump. And uh, I just remember as I'm looking at this, I just can't shake this scene where they are all in uh, in their training. They're all lined up and they're supposed to assemble their weapons as quick as possible. And the commanding officer is like, go, you know, and Forrest is just like, and he's like, all done, drill sergeant. And 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 you hear the, the drill sergeant's voice from across the room, go, but he gets in his face. Why did you assemble your weapon so quickly? Because you told me to, Joe Sergeant. You are a genius. This is a new record. You are going to be a general someday. Why, why was that? That it clued in. I'm sorry. I have to dissect everything I see. I just can't watch things for entertainment, but it said something about success in, in the military to me that, that while we know that Forrest Gump lacked a lot of intelligence, right? But he had figured this out. You said I'm supposed to do it. So I did it. it. There wasn't a hindrance there. There wasn't a, oh, why do we have to do this so quickly? I mean, does this make any sense in battle? 
Can somebody explain to me the purpose before I do this? He just responded. He followed the voice of his commanding officer. Imagine the pressure that would be lifted off of our shoulders if we saw the authority coming from Jesus as not as not open for opinion, as not um, if you can rationalize it, if you can reason it throughout life, if you can apply it to your own little, what would be free in our lives? What would we experience for momentum in our lives if we just said, he just said to do it, so I did it. Good soldiers lock in on their commander's voice. We saw in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, um, a week or so ago, that Peter had told his um, readers, those that were in the church scattered, to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Why? Because their adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And remember, we made the statement that you're not going to hear in church very often, although I think many preach it. It just doesn't sound quite the way it came out of my mouth, is you need to get to know the devil. I think the second application or comparison I would make between the soldiers in our military and who we are as soldiers in the army of the Lord is that we need to be willing to lock horns with our enemy. Rather than running and fleeing, rather than always being intimidated, rather than just saying, could you just not advance yet? I need a breath. I need a break. And don't we feel like we need one this week? Don't we just wish the world would stop and just stop with the onslaught? Peter's language is when he says resist him. Remember, we said it was like pushing against a force leaning in on you. And, and, and it's this active stance. It's this constant um, um, force that we're pushing back on and our legs start to wobble and our, our elbows get sore. And we're thinking, how long do I have to hold back this tide? Peter is saying to resist him, be firm in your faith. Because there is a roaring lion, especially right now, and I'm very serious about this. While we are, a, a, a knowledgeable enemy knows when, the, when their opponent is tired. A knowledgeable, strategic, wise enemy knows when to sneak in when the other uh, side is at their worst. And, and you and I need to recognize one of the one of the things that makes uh, when it, when we're talking about temptation and all that the devil will do. It's like the, the devil hits us at our highs and our lows at the most, not in the middle busy where most of us are, not in the middle sort of life's moving along too quick for me to slow down and think about what I'm not getting in life and all the things that I that would normally tempt me either at the height of my success because I'm feeling a little full of myself. I'm prone to fall. Or at the lowest of my lows because I feel exhausted and spent. And I can't resist that force anymore. A wise enemy knows right when to come in for the kill. And the more fatigue you and I carry, the more uh, 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 can't do it anymore sort of mindset that we entertain. The more the, the lion starts licking his chops and, and he starts seeing some of our pride come out. Remember we said that some of the subtlety of pride and worry and anxiety is my life should be going better than it is right now. I deserve more. And we said that the lion's like pouring barbecue sauce on the ribs for him. Makes him salivate anymore. I, I, even more, he's thinking I've got him right where I want him. 
We have a roaring lion walking around through our lives. He's moving through our bedrooms. He's moving through our closets and our kitchens. He's in our car in the passenger seat next to us. He's following us into our places of work. He's stirring up things in our kitchens, in our marriages. Right now, we we have the height of temptation towards feeding our addictions. We're finding our corners of, of opinion in our prideful stances. I know better than you about everything that we're facing. And yes, we are engaging in a lot of selfishness. And the more exhausted we get, the more unwilling we are to push against that tide, the more that we give in to those things. And it is, please, it is my compelling message to all of you, do not quit in the good fight. Don't quit and allow those things because, you know what, they'll understand. I just need a break. They'll understand. I just can't fight anymore. The roaring lion roams around, prowls around, seeking someone to scar, to... To, to wound? No, we said it. It's to devour, to kill the things in our lives that we would normally count on for sustenance. He will kill our relationships. He will kill our financial positions. He will kill our, our, um, our status. He will kill all of the things that you have come to grow comfortable in. He'll, he'll kill it all because he's not satisfied with just a little. A soldier of the cross locks horns with his enemy and doesn't flee from the fight. I also find it very interesting as Paul says to, uh, Paul says to us in second Timothy chapter two, again, he makes the comparison, which is all through the scriptures about soldiers and battles. He says in verses three and four, share in the suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So first clue is a good soldier understands that the task I'm about to embark in is fraught with suffering. It doesn't mean that a good soldier goes and says, how can I show the greatest amount of sacrifice and then run ahead of everybody, go try to get into trouble and everything? Because I want to prove to them I can take my wounds. But it's somebody who says, I know that this road is dark. I know that this road is heavy. I know that that most can't do this, so I'm going to do it for them. I'm going to welcome the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So again, the obvious connection, the obvious call to us is how did we receive the fatigue of this last week, the last month, the last year? I'm with you. I'm, I am not saying that I'm doing any of this with a smile on my face. The only smile I seem to have is when I get around you and get kind of that fueled energy that people still get it, that people are still moving towards the mission of the cross. And then I go, okay, I'm not alone. Or the staff is feeling, hey, we're not alone in this. And so getting around God's people and worshiping together is what brings that smile. But that isn't the goal in this. The goal in this isn't, I hope I feel good about everything that's happening. Sharing the suffering is a good soldier of Jesus Christ in verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A good soldier acknowledges there is a distinction between the battlefield and what I deserve or what I I enjoy at home. I find it interesting, um, especially in in the realm of our discussions about PTSD over the years and other things, that I find it interesting how few soldiers will come home from their experience and be able to talk to people in the States about what they've witnessed, what they've gone through. 
And I think there's a couple of factors that my limited experience could point to, and I'm sure there's many others. But I think for one, the, the mindset of a sacrificer, the one who has welcomed suffering in their life says, no, I went there to endure that so they wouldn't have to. So why would I come home and regale them all of all the stories of horror and bring them through that when I went there so they didn't have to? I fought it there so we didn't have to fight it here. So there's a nobility to that. There's, there's a, a, a mindset that bleeds all the way through that I went there to sacrifice and so I'm still going to sacrifice even when I'm in the quote unquote comforts of my own homeland. But I also think that there's a, a, a real thing that because of the grace that has been given to us or the ability to move through with adrenaline and all those kinds of things that the Lord has wired us physiologically that we're able to go to places and do things that when we pull back and we say, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I survived that. And I also don't know how to communicate it to those who haven't been there. That I, I can't bring them into that world in a satisfying way that helps them appreciate all that I witnessed or experienced. Either way you look at it, there is a profound understanding that civilian life is to be different than the life of the battle. I go back to what Peter had said to uh, his readers all through the letter that we studied together this year. He said, you're not home yet. You're moving in that direction. There is a distinction between the battle that you're in now and the home life that you'll be able to enjoy when this war is all over. So I would say that uh, the, the parallel comparison here is that a good soldier lock, locks out the lure of the easy life, the quote unquote easy life, either the, or the familiar life or the one that you really want. We don't have time. We can't afford that right now. We have a mission to do. And lastly, I would say that a good soldier is willing to lock arms with fellow soldiers. When I was young, I would watch the movies of the great heroes and stuff. And, and, and as a kid, you would see all these larger than life characters who were the coolest from the start of the movie to the end. And so, of course, they were the ones standing on top of the rubble when the credits were rolling as the city is burning behind them. And they saved it all by themselves and got the girl in the process and everybody's respect. And so when I was young, when I was immature, I used to think that's what's required of us. We've got to be ready and willing to be that person who carries it all by themselves and gets all the glory in the end. But yet the older I got, the more experience I had that in my own life, that isn't how I've achieved any of my success. I have always found more boldness and more drive to do the next right thing in the company of others. A reminder that others are counting on me to, to not give in. A reminder that others around me could actually do it better than me and give me the lead from time to time to follow. Most of what happens for good is not done individually. Those that we honor as, as being sacrificial or those that we deem as heroes, they don't start out often as intended moments of greatness or start out to be remembered most of the things that you're going to read and hear during this time and as we get to Memorial Day and everything, you're going to see that. Don't we see it too on the news? Somebody saves someone from the river or whatever and we, they say, I, I don't really see myself as a hero. And you're like, oh, everybody just knows to say that. They just know to sound humble at the right time. But I think there's a reality that says, I didn't wake up today thinking I'm going to pull someone from the river. I thought I was going to be late for work because I went through the Dunkin' Donuts drive through and then uh, there were other plans, and I had to rise to the occasion. 
They didn't set out to be heroes, but they had the raw material for what the moment called for. They're, in a sense, they were prepared, even if they didn't know exactly what they were being prepared for. You see, there's a big difference between just nobly filling a leadership gap, you know, seeing that something needs to be done and I'm in a position where I can do something about it. There's a difference between that person and the person, as we said earlier, the one who runs ahead in order to prove I can handle this. You guys are going to be impressed with what I'm about to do. That one mindset gets honored throughout all of history. The other mindset gets their people killed. Our journey, our battle needs to be shared with others. No one is asking you to set out to be the individual hero. You see, this is the beauty of the gospel message is that you and I are following the true hero. We're following the one who made the ultimate sacrifice. We're following the one who's already won the battle. He's calling us to be faithful in it. And what's really incredible about this idea that you and I get to do this with other people, that you and I feed so much off of the uh, faithfulness of others, is you think about how Jesus died. You think about how this greatest sacrifice was accomplished, and you'll see that he did it alone. Humanly speaking, when he was in the garden and he went off to pray, what did he say to his friends, his buddies? Hey, I'm struggling here. Could you just spend some time praying for me? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But we're really tired. I'm sorry we can't carry this with you. But man, I, my, I can't keep my eyes open. And we know that Jesus could have easily said, don't you see what I'm about to do? Why wouldn't you stay awake? He didn't say that at first. He went off and prayed. They fell asleep. Then he came back, kind of kicked them awake and said, I'm trying to accomplish the saving of the world. And you couldn't stay awake for just a few hours. When he was in this public trial scenario and being dragged through the streets and being punched in the face and being spat on, what did those same friends do? They took off, ran away. They were the fleeing disciples after being the sleeping disciples. Jesus hanging on a cross, carrying at that moment the sin of all mankind. And because he had a perfectly holy father who can't even bear to look at the ugliness of sin, knowing that on the other side of this sacrifice, Jesus would raise and would rise again in purity and, and allow the, the father to see all of us as spotless white. But in that moment, he couldn't look at his son. And Jesus cries out for all of history to hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus in that moment hanging on a cross, looking up to the skies is utterly alone. We need to understand that Jesus died alone so that you and I would not have to live alone. That you and I would not have to fight alone. That you and I would not have to endure alone. His solo effort in the truest sense of the word, his solo effort brought about a unity through his blood between you and me that never needs to be separated. Now is not the time for us to retreat, though the fatigue is there, the fear is there, because the darkness will not relent until Jesus returns. You and I will continually be in a posture of holding this weight back. I'm inviting you to remain in that battle. I'm I'm, I'm inviting you to keep leaning in that direction to keep putting all of the effort, all of the strength, all of the power that the Spirit can give you into that effort. 
And adopting the mind of a soldier comes with tremendous cost, but it is what will accomplish the mission. Only you and I are walking around with these little free flashlights, if you will, in a dark place saying, if you want one, I've got one for you right here. And that flashlight metaphorically is the the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that because he died alone, he also has taken on your sins and has removed the penalty of it. And that this world is not our eternal home and he has prepared one for us to go to. Through the power of Jesus' death, through the power of his, even his burial in physical form and his resurrection. You and I can continue to live sacrificially as we enlist in what it means to be in the army of the cross and resist the weapons of the enemy. Again, as I said, I am uh, very much in tune with uh, the nature of the fatigue of the day and the difficulty it is to think that maybe the, uh, the enemy's onslaught is just beginning. How discouraging can that be if we let that sink in? As we were talking this morning in our prayer group and we were just reminding ourselves of how the fact that if the Lord has laid this out, which we believe he has, if in his sovereignty he knew what the enemy would, where the advancements would be, what the, um, the strategic attacks would be, nobody can one up the Lord's um, uh, military strategy. If he knew all this was playing out, we have to wait in anticipation and be eagerly expecting he's going to lay out the plan for us to be obedient to when the time is right. If I recognize his voice, if I am taking the time to get to know what he sounds like, submitting myself humbly under his authority and saying, Lord, if you speak, I do. When you say jump, I'm already coming down. If that's what I'm geared to do, then I will start to recognize the voice of my commander. If I don't flee from a fight, if I'm willing to lock horns with the enemy and willing to engage in the battle, I'll be ready in whatever shape or form that takes. And I am accepting the fact that this life will not be what I wish it would be. I'm willing to forego that. I'm willing to wait for the one that you've promised and endure with the one that you've given me. And I won't do it alone. I will do it with my brothers and sisters. I will pray for and support them. I will not let the divisions of the day get between my support of them. This is what we are being called to this morning. And it's that which I ask that you humbly consider and pray towards. Would you please stand and join me in prayer as we prepare to close out our time in song. Lord God, I want to thank you, Father, for your hope. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that pushes us beyond what we think we're physically capable of. And Lord, I just pray that as God's people encounter that rejuvenation of your spirit, Lord, may, be, may they be thankful for it. May they recognize its source. And may they intend to use it to continue on in the battle. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters, as fellow soldiers, to lift up our voices, to sing our praises to you, to be challenged by your word. Lord, for those that are home, that are watching this from a distance, Lord, may they find connection and purpose under the cross. Lord, your tentacles, if you will, of all that you're doing are spreading out everywhere. And we are representing the kingdom both in person and at a distance. We are united in this, Lord. So have your perfect work. Shine your glory in our city. Use this church, Lord, to continue to move forward for the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.